Hello, and welcome to Between the Tees, the knowledge sharing program from Texas Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Aaron May. We're excited to join you in this new year as we continue to bring principles of personal finance that will help you take control of your money in 2024. If you're new to the program, we're happy that you tuned in. Please be sure to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes to learn the importance of establishing a written estate plan and a written effective budget. As we begin this episode, I do want to take us down a rabbit hole for a second. So picture this, if you will. I'm sitting here in front of my microphone, drinking a cup of coffee. I'm wearing a blue shirt and some brown slacks and some brown shoes. Do you have a visual of me yet? Now, think about the car that I drove into work this morning. It was a gray car and it's sitting out front of my office. I'm sure that sounds very impressive, doesn't it? You probably roll in your eyes bored, but let me just freshen it up a little bit. What if I said that I'm sitting in my personal studio overlooking a lake, drinking a half-calf soy latte that I made with my own espresso machine, and I'm drinking it from a very fancy Yeti mug, wearing a tailored suit that was you know, made by Armani. And oh, and the vehicle that I drove into work this morning, well, that was my new 2024 Lexus. You know, not to brag or anything, but you know, that's a nice car. So did your opinion of me change at all? Did uh, this visual match what you thought you had whenever you I first described myself? Does this new understanding that I have high dollar tastes and apparently the ability to afford them change my opinion and how I value money at all? Well, that's the topic we're going to talk about today. And to join me to go down this rabbit hole into the myth of social status and money is my co-host, Carrie Wilson. Kerry is a new addition to the marketing department at the bank here at Texas Bank and Trust, and he is also an experienced banker. He has almost a decade of experience in a, as a teller, as a personal banker, and as a new account relationship manager. Kerry, based on my description of myself, do you think I sound fancy? Well, definitely the soy latte, the 2024 Lexus, you have some lavish lifestyle living going on, you know, uh, but... It, just to me, you know, just since I'm here, I, I'm not honestly impressed by fancy things. But to, oh, to come a person, on, Carrie, that doesn't impress you that I have a lot of cool, fun stuff. Man, as long as you got a car to drive, <laughs> you got some clothes on your back, a car to drive, a good job, you you said. But but definitely for somebody who doesn't have the understanding or the education, the financial education of money. And being financially sound, that may sound like a better lifestyle compared to a gray car, a blue shirt, gray pants, and some shoes. You know, I mean, sounds a lot more impressive whenever I talk about the name brands and the things that I have. And right, right. Like, wow, this guy must have have some really good money to be able to afford this. And so, if he's really good with money, then maybe I should listen to him. You know, honestly, yeah. I wish I had a Lexus. I really don't. But the the truth of the issue is, we're pointing out that there's a a myth that goes around in our society. We call it the keeping up with the Joneses effect. It's been um, commonly talked about for many years. But the point that we're talking about here is that we often think about what someone else has as better or as 
um, what we should attain to as opposed to looking at our own lives and looking at our own finances and saying, I need to be grateful for what I have and I need to be able to um, live within my means because my future self matters too. And if I'm worried so much now about what other people think about me because of the way I dress or the way I, the car that I drive, and I don't put any focus on what I need to do for my future, then I'm really setting myself up for failure. Right. So have you ever made a purchase that uh, you wished <laughs> you look back on and said, man, I did that solely to impress someone? Actually, yes. When I was in high school, I actually middle school and high school, I wanted Air Forces. Air Forces. They were high. If you didn't have Air Forces, specifically the high tops with the little thing hanging loose, then you wasn't, you, you know, you, you was just, you was just average. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You need to go to foot action for a lot. get you some forces, get you some nice dickies, some nice, po- you know. Yeah. I, I tried to stay dressed down and keep up with all that. Uh, even ex- going to high school. Now, college, I will say, you know. Both of y'all have been in college, just like me. You already know the college lifestyle. You don't have much money. Yeah. You just trying to go to class, get some food where you can, and and just survive. I think that's the point where I realized, as long as I got some chucks and some jeans and a shirt, I'm good. And yeah. I can rock this just – I can look good. You know, For me, one of the biggest purchases that I made that I look back now and shake my head was I had a paid-off car. I only, this car was a nice little vehicle. I only, only paid $600 for it when I was in college, but it had a little bit of a um, power steering issue. Uh-huh. And everybody pressured me. as like, you know, you can't keep driving that car with a power steering issue. I'm like, it's, how much is it going to cost to fix? Maybe $700. I can't pay $700 to fix this car. So what did I go do? I traded in that paid off car. And instead of paying $600 or $700 to fix it, I went and bought a $12,000 car <laughs> because I deserved it. I deserved a car that drove nice. And everybody told me you needed a car that drove nice. And so I bought myself yeah. this little 2004 Nissan Altima with black leather interior. To me, it felt like my own personal limousine. But <laughs> I, I felt like I finally made it. But I was just yeah. barely making it with those car payments. But man, the, the impression that I got driving down the road in this little leather full leather interior car made me feel so good it's like behind closed doors you're regretting that purchase but when you get in that ride you get in that whip you go to driving around you have a temporary sensation of yeah look at what i have look at me i've made it yeah yeah so we're going to continue down this rabbit hole but we're going to do it with our guest rochelle carter if you guys remember from the previous episodes rochelle has been with us through our budgeting series rochelle is a deposit operations manager with Texas Bank and Trust, and she has many years of experience in accounting. And she's also a mother of teenage boys. And so she knows what it's like to deal with young people dealing with financial wants that uh, they need to keep up with the Joneses and keep up with their friends. Um, Rochelle, have you ever bought anything that you look back on and I uh, thought it was the best thing since sliced bread until you, you look back now and say, what was I thinking? Well, yes, um, I'm I'm in the same boat you are, Aaron. Mine was the first time I bought a car without a co-signer. Oh. And so, okay. uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it was like, big girl okay. big, yeah, that was, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, welcome to womanhood. <laughs> and so um, I had a little Ford Festiva green. It was like driving a little matchbox car. And I traded it in for a four-door bronze moonroof 
Mazda protege. Whoa. Uh huh. Okay, went big. Yeah, went big. It was a lemon. It was, <laughs> oh, no. it was the worst thing, but I was so proud because I went to the dealership. I even to this day remember my salesman's name. Um, but I went to the dealership without daddy, you know, without my parents. I've got an income now. I want to purchase it by myself and without asking any questions. That's what I see. That's what I want. Give it to me. And I paid the price for quite a while for that vehicle. How did you feel when you drove off the lot and you had this, the smell of the new car? The Oh, did you, you, were you one of those people that once as you never saw the car before until after you buy it and you see it oh. everywhere? Cause now all of a sudden you're in the club. Absolutely. <laughs> and because it was, you know, it was this nice, shiny bronze vehicle, you know, and I'd let the moon roof back and the whole thing. And of course, they give you your first full tank of gas. And so, yeah. you know, I was like driving around. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I've, really arrived and what was it like whenever your friends saw you that first time oh we all went to the mall you know yeah. everybody get in because i've gone from a little bitty car that only two people could fit in yeah now i've got a four-door mid-size kind of vehicle let's all jump in and go yeah so yeah wow. it was it was really exciting until it wasn't yeah what was that <laughs> like when you first realized what did i do it was when I started having um, one mechanical issue after another with it and realizing that, you know, you had a car that was paid for that got you from point A to point B. Now you're having to pay a car payment, be without a car while your car is in the shop. It just became a lot of headaches on top of financial once all of those mechanical issues and all that stuff started hitting, you were just... Uh... I actually ended up having to trade that car away because it just, you know, fortunately it was under warranty and I was in a position where my parents could still talk to me and let me know, hey, we understand you were proud because you could do this yourself, but it just does not make sense at this point. And so I ended up trading it in uh, for a Saturn that I drove literally until I could no longer drive it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Like that's, uh, it's just interesting. Like we, we get that momentary high when we experience that, but then a lot of times they call it buyer's remorse whenever you buy something. And then a little bit later, you're like, man, I wish I would have done something different, bought something different, saved up my money, paid cash. Cause now we're being stuck with this mountain of debt that we really didn't need. Um, I know we're referring back to kids here, but you know, you're as a, as a mother now, mm -hmm. when your kids came to you that first time and said, mom, I need this new pair of shoes or video game or whatever it was. What, what did you, what was your reaction? Like, you know, fortunately, which my kids are no longer teenagers. They both are, are grown adults, but kind of like Carrie was talking about when they were in school, I had one son that was very frugal. I have one son that he would wear the uh, the shack and one shoes from Kmart and it didn't bother him at all. He was always uh, very much a laid back. My other son, on the other hand, was the one who everything had to be from Hollister's. Mm -hmm. You know, everything had to be the Jordan Air Force One shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, everything had to be 
absolutely top of the line name brand. And so my husband and I were like, okay, you've got to earn that. Um, you, you know, we give gifts on your birthday and Christmas. Those are your free, no, you know, whatever mom and dad are going to take care of anything else that you want, like for back to school. Well, what have you done all summer long to earn that clothing budget and that shoe budget that you're wanting? Yeah. And that's kind of how we, um, and it was so funny because we would give both of our sons an allotted amount of money for back to school shopping and it never failed. My youngest son, you could give him $300. He was coming back with $200. Yeah. My other son, you could give him $300. He was having to borrow $50 from his younger brother <laughs> yep. to, you know, to purchase his things. So that means the younger brother actually only spent 50 since he had to give the other 50 to his brother. Actually, yes, in reality, because yeah. he, he would shop the clearance rack, you know, or he'd say, I don't, you know, I've already got shirts from last year. I only need one new shirt. Oh, he was like that? Oh, yeah. He's oh. still like that. Wow. Oh, oh no. We opposites. No, yeah. I wore that last year. This is 11th <laughs> grade. That was 10th grade. No, we in New Year. Yeah. I was definitely like. <laughs> so, tell me why Why was it like that, Carrie? It just High school is very, It it's just cliquish, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of, I mean, quote unquote bullying. The, I, I, the most bullying I experienced in high school was getting talked about yeah. for not having the latest shoes or wearing something they thought looked crazy Yeah, when it was really just affordable and it looked fine. I just had it in my mind to <laughs> impress these people that didn't care about me and still talked about me even when I had the nice stuff on. So it, I don't know. I, but yeah, my, my mindset totally ninth. Now I will say ninth grade, that was the year we just didn't have much money. Yeah. And I, you know, my dad, he was working hard, you know, so I didn't have what I wanted in ninth grade. 10th grade came around. I said, Daddy, oh, no, no, no. We're starting early. We going to American Eagle, Aeropostale, Hollister. We, uh-uh. This is going to be a different year. Because of what I experienced in ninth grade. Yeah. I wanted consistently new things every year. I was just like that. We're about to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to bring up that very topic of why that pressure changed from ninth to 10th grade. And even... That extends even beyond high school and college to adulthood. We're going to go through some statistics and go through some of the reasons why people feel so much pressure to spend money they don't have to impress people they may never meet. So we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Karen Partee with the TBT Financial Minute. If you've been a victim of fraud or suspect that your personal information has been compromised, contact your bank and credit card issuers immediately. File a police report, request a victim statement be placed in your credit reports, and keep a record of the authorities you have contacted. For additional information, call the Federal Trade Commission's ID Theft Consumer Response Center. TBT Financial Minute is brought to you by Texas Bank and Trust. You've been an anchor for our families, a shelter in the storm, a refuge from uncertainty, and the one to keep us warm. You remind us of where we can go and just how far we've come. You've caught our tears and helped us sing our songs. You've welcomed our friends and embraced the ones we love. You've always been the first to say hello when we make it back to that place we call home. 
Wherever life takes you, the journey home starts here. TBT Mortgage. All right, and we're back from this commercial break. Back here with Rochelle Carter, my guest, and with Carrie Wilson, my co-host. Carrie, one of the things you mentioned right as we were leaving for break was about that transition from ninth grade to 10th grade. You're heading from junior high into high school, and uh, you felt like you'd been made fun of during the previous year, and you felt that you didn't want that to happen again. So you listed all of the name brands of every store that every high school student was oh, yeah. begging for. Oh yeah. And you said, Dad, we're going to every single one of these stores and we're buying whatever it takes to make me not feel like an outcast. Why did you feel that way? Well, ninth grade, I knew there's one shirt I remember just feeling proud of because it looked good. It looked like what everybody else was wearing. And I would, I wore the mess out of that shirt. I mean, come on, <laughs> like I, I want to look good, but everything else, I just felt like I didn't have any fashion sense. No. I mean, I, I mean, it, it was just weird, like having kids point at me, laugh at what I'm wearing, like you know. So of course, I felt bad. I felt embarrassed. I was like, I don't want to go through all of high school like this. Yeah. So that summer, and I'll never forget, I started really right after school let out <laughs> like at the end of may so going into june i said daddy well, we going to the mall we're going shopping now for some clothes we going to american eagle we going to foot action foot locker we i'm gonna be legit 10th grade yeah and i walked into 10th grade legit but then i look back i'm like i could have used that money on books like actual books to read for fun yeah. and photography could have got started a little earlier i mean you know yeah but it just but who actually told you that you didn't have fashion sense. What was it that made you feel like you had no fashion sense? The other kids. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah. I know one of the things that, one of the things that I always um, used to remind my kids when they were in school is this group that you're with, you're only going to be with them for four years and out of your circle of friends, if five of you are still friends in 10 years, I would be surprised and so you're worried about the opinion of people that you are only going to see for a very short time period. Right. But I do understand. And heaven, you know, I understood why girls, you know, seem to have a lot of peer pressure. I didn't realize until I had sons that actually young men probably have as much, if not more, yeah. peer pressure when it comes to things like clothes and money and those type of things, because like you said, it was like, well, you're almost made to feel like you're nothing yeah. because they equate you with what you wear. Exactly. exactly. And I'll never yeah. forget just seeing all the guys getting their hair cut every week, having a fresh fade every single week. I thought that I needed to do that. So I would ask my dad, hey, hey, can I get a haircut? Well, you just got one last week. I know, but I need another one. <laughs> Like, yeah, didn't need a haircut at all. Just trying right. to follow what everyone else was doing. Right. Yeah, because it's it's this trend that one of the things that we're looking up in these statistics. I was going online doing some research, and LendingTree.com had a survey that they did about how people overspend just to impress people that they may never meet, or people that they even impressing friends and family. Like they just spend so much more than they actually have. They say that nearly 40% of Americans have overspent to impress someone, whether it's a 
buying clothes, shoes, accessories, or gifts. The main reason they do this is because they, quote, want to feel successful. And they want to impress family or friends, or they want to reciprocate the generosity that someone else had showed them, or even to impress a date. You know, as we were saying, uh, ladies often spend a lot of money on hair and makeup and uh, clothes because they want, you know, to dress dress a certain way and act a certain way, Rochelle. Um, but, you know, she's like, guys, we often feel the same pressure because it's like, if you can't come up with a creative date or you don't, you have to go Dutch where you, the girl has to pay for herself. My goodness. And Think of how embarrassing that is. So, and the date thing is even worse now. With social, the way social media is now on Twitter, I cannot tell you how many posts you see of guys doing these extravagant things for their girlfriends. Yeah. Just coming up with the most, I mean, really creative. And if you have it like that, then I, you know, by all means do it. But you have people out there who are comparing themselves to that and not realizing, oh, you got, you know, it really doesn't take all that. If you don't have it, you just stay, hey, be genuine, be who you are. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, and one thing that you just said that um, I am so blessed that was not an issue when I was coming up in school, and that is social media. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Social media, you know, for all of its wonderful things, it is a kind of destructive to young adults, young teenagers who really are still trying to figure out who they actually are. Yes. yes. And one of the things that I noticed it, um, is like, you have to do, if you see them doing it, you've got to do it bigger. Yep. Right. You know, and even yep. adults, kind of like you said, it it plagues us even into adulthood because you see these posts and these statuses on social media that make you somehow feel like you're not successful or you're not doing the best that you can because you live in a three-bedroom house well, the people you graduated high school with, well, now they live in a five-bedroom house. With a lake view. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lake view. And it's like, um, you. I was looking at these statistics again, mentioning that social media thing. It's so important because looking at who experiences the most financial pressure to make purchases, one of the largest groups of people, 51% of respondents who are Gen Zers, say that they feel pressure to keep up with others. And I think that social media influencers, the social influencers, the TikTok videos, the making sure that you have the right hair, the right body type, the right everything, um, all of those things put so much pressure on the neck, on the younger generation because, one, they're young. They're still trying to figure this out. I remember back in the 80s and the early 90s when I was young, you know, if you didn't have the Reebok high tops, if you didn't have the certain haircut that the football team had, if you didn't have the certain type of clothing, you're, as you said, Carrie, you're an outcast. It creates this pressure that if I want to fit in, I have to look and act a certain way. And it's right now the generation that's experiencing that the most is the younger generation. But something this report also indicates is that as it doesn't change when you get older, it actually gets worse with higher income levels because <laughs> higher income earners are the ones who reported the highest level of pressure. They say, I mean, think about it. Like if you have a six figure income and you're not living a six figure lifestyle, something's wrong. You know, why are you having such a nice job and living in a small house in a little community, driving a beat up old car? You know, your friends are out living it up, going on vacations, buying their second vacation home. And you're, you know, over here, not doing that, you start to feel like an outcast, even among 
people with higher incomes. Exactly. It's funny that, you know, that in 2024 that we still have such a division between classes in our society Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're either in the low income or the below income or moderate or mid, you know, whatever it is. And so if you're making a six figure salary, then society dictates that you have to move from the area that you're in and you must automatically move up to this new neighborhood because now you can't afford that. Right. But what happens when you can't afford that? So now you've added all of this pressure to yourself, to marriages. One of the things we talked about in the budgeting series is about how that financial strain, you know, causes so much pressure on husbands and wives and families. Well, you know, now you've put yourself in a predicament that I've got to keep a job that will allow me to pay for this $80,000 vehicle or this $400,000 home. And there's no way that we can sell it and let people know that we need to downsize because what does that say about who we are? And yeah, I mean, letting go of something, man, that all of a sudden changes the perspective because it's like, like you're just telling me you were just pretending this whole time. Right. When actually you weren't, you thought you could afford it, you bought it, but now all of a sudden the financial situation has changed, maybe a job loss or maybe uh, an illness or something has taken uh, a change in how your income is allocated or even, you know, the recent inflation that's happened in our country has made the money that you did have go a shorter distance. So you can't do as much, even though what used to be a good income is now barely scraping by. So you have to make some changes. And so you need to make those changes. It's like you're admitting, man, I failed. Right. And and you just what you just said is having to admit that it's not necessarily that you failed, but having to face yourself and make some of those hard decisions. And unfortunately, pride is at the root of all of it. Yep. Yeah. You know, from from middle school, high school on into adulthood. If you don't address that pride issue, then you will always attempt to live beyond what you actually can afford because you're afraid of what others will think of you if you don't. Exactly. But can I ask a question? Yeah. Okay. So when you tell when you when y'all talk about being in a higher making more money and being in a higher class bracket, who is who is telling them Oh, you don't have that? You make this much money. Who is saying that? It's the same people who told you it in high school. Right. The same Mm -hmm. folks you don't talk to? You basically in high school, you're you're telling us that you started out where you thought you looked fine in ninth grade until uh-huh. all of a sudden there's whispers, there's corners where people are cutting eyes at you. And all of a sudden you feel weird because you don't fit in. And so you're like, Dad, we need to go to Aeropostale and Hollister and Abercrombie and I got to buy all the new stuff because I need to fit in. It's the same mm. mentality because all of a sudden- your friends are driving the 2024 Lexus that I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Your friends are driving the Jeeps and not just the mall crawler Jeeps with uh, no upgrades, but they have the custom rock climbing package. They have, they're getting ducks on their dashboard because everybody thinks they have a pretty truck or pretty Jeep. You know, all this stuff, you're trying to live up to this societal norm that people think that if you've attained this level, then you should be doing X. And 
that's what the problem we're addressing is. That's the mm. first thing we want to talk about a little bit more is why people actually run into these decisions. What is it that influences people to make purchases? Um, sometimes when people make purchases, it's for social approval. As we're talking about here, they want to feel like they fit in. Um, no matter what income level you're at, there seems to be this pressure to live a certain way. You know, you want to, you want to look like you're on the other side of the fence where the grass is greener where you are. And then you're constantly looking at where other people are and saying, right. man, I wish I could be there. And you think that once you get there, things are going to be so much better. But then when you're there, you're just looking at the next person and saying, man, I wish I could have what they have. And you're constantly right. striving for the next it thing because you're just trying to feel like you fit in. Another reason people buy things is because they just want to feel good about themselves. Rochelle, in one of the budgeting co topics, we talked about retail therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you alluded to it even at the beginning of this episode. If you work hard, you want to reward yourself. Yeah. So sometimes these big ticket purchases are like, you know what? I've been really working hard. I deserve yeah. this or I deserve that. That was me with that Mazda protege. Yeah. You know, my mentality was... I've I've got a job. I work full time. I deserve whatever vehicle I want. I've earned it. And so you kind of have that mentality that, you know, who's going to tell me that I can't? Or like in retail therapy, I need something to make me feel better about whatever I'm going through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those big purchases, a lot of times it's that instant gratification, but that long term regret. Yeah. that we talked about. That's Absolutely. very true. So we're going to head into a commercial break right now. And when we come back, we're going to address some of these questions of how we prepare ourselves to deal with the pressures of society. What do we need to do to make our mindset different? So we're not falling to the pressures of the media, of society, of friends, family, and others who pressure us into thinking that we need to live, dress, or act a certain way in order to fit in. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Greg, and this is a 60-second 411. Let's talk about credit. What is it, and how do we manage it? The term credit typically refers to a relationship with a financial institution where you have borrowed money either in the form of a loan or credit card. Borrowing money may allow you to make a large purchase that can be paid back in smaller amounts over time. Each payment includes a portion that goes toward the amount borrowed called principal and a portion that covers the cost of borrowing the money called interest. When payments are made regularly, you will begin to develop a credit history, which is translated into a score by credit bureaus. This score helps other lenders determine your ability to repay loans and use borrowed money wisely. Keep in mind that borrowed money must be paid back in full. Consider using a budget to plan your spending accordingly so you can make your payments on time. We hope you've enjoyed this quick tutorial. If you have any questions or would like to speak with the lending officer, visit www.texasbankandtrust.com. Until next time, this has been your 60-second 
And we're back. Thank you guys for tuning in and staying with us. I just want to make sure I say one thing before we move into this next section. The information that we discuss on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. So if you are listening and you are having um, a different financial situation than ours, then please make sure you speak with someone directly in your area about your finances because personal finance is a very personal thing. So make sure that you are reaching out to someone who can help you with that. But uh, we're going to get back into our topic. And so Rochelle, one of the things we were talking about uh, offline in this commercial break was about uh, the relationships that we have with money and how as a younger adult, or even as a high school student going into our younger adulthood, there's a shift that happens with our relationship with money. Yeah. You know, your relationship with money changes or it should change um, as you grow older, especially I think Every five to seven years, depending on what your financial situation is, as you're coming out of high school, you've got your first job, you're coming out of college and you get what uh, my children termed your career job and you're making career money, um, your your relationship with money changes. Carrie, one of the things you said earlier was going from freshman to a sophomore, you know, you were like, dad, I need all of these things. So how did your relationship or your view on spending money change when it was no longer your dad who was buying the clothes, but it was you who then were having to pay the rent, <laughs> pay for the food, and figure out how to buy the clothes? Well, having well, going from depending on someone to pay all that for me to paying it on my own, I honestly had the thought, how did Daddy do this all these years <laughs> when I was yeah. begging for P- PlayStations, clothes, and I mean, the man made it, he tried to make it work, you know, because he loves his kids. But yeah. but going from that to paying all my bills, yeah, found out real quickly, life is not not going to work with you on Life's that. not cheap. <laughs> like, and no. I don't know how dad did it. I love that. That's uh-uh. so true because I feel the same way about my mom. I remember my first job moving to Texas from Virginia. I moved here 23 years ago. And that first job, like I... I can't imagine how I made ends meet on the money that I had because it wasn't much. Let me tell you, my dad, after my mom passed away, my dad was a teacher, right? He'd been a teacher for years, but he got a second job. He'd been, he, he got that job at the mall right before she passed away. So after she passed now, bam, I have two jobs, school in the day, mall at night, mall on the weekends. He has two sons. One's like seven or eight. I was maybe seven or eight. And my brother's 14, so you're dealing with two kids, a teenager and a kid. Both want things. You need things for yourself. You got to feed everybody. Put gas in the car. Take us. But, like, I don't see. I, I honestly don't see how he made that work. Well, but he made it work. I, I can tell you, as a parent, sometimes Tony and I have discussed it often, is that sometimes I think we do a disservice to our children when we don't actually involve them in the financial discussion. Mm. That's big. And Mm. that's one of the things Mm. we even talked about in the budgeting series is sometimes, you know, you don't let kids in on everything because they're children. Right. But at some point we had to realize that it had to become a family discussion when we discussed finances And it really helped our sons have a better understanding of, you know, okay, we can get the PS4 Mm -hmm. or you can have two pairs of shoes and a used game 
from GameStop. Mm. We really had to break it down and show them pen to paper how much this one thing you're asking for versus if we do it this way and just be honest with them. And so sometimes I think as parents, while we're, you know, especially we just came out of the Christmas season. Right. And I think we do a disservice to our children because the next year, if you can't do everything big, now you kind of disrupt their world. Right. And they don't Mm -hmm. understand why last year we got everything that was on our wish list. Yeah. This year you're telling us we can only get one (laughs) thing a piece. Right. But once we kind of started telling them, okay, look at the amount of the one thing that you're wanting. Plus you still have got to eat. Plus you still have this and you have that. You know, I think that's a big thing too. That's how you help kids develop a healthy relationship with money Mm. from an earlier age is the earlier you start, I think the better prepared they are. Definitely. So tying this back into the topic for our show with the mindset of keeping up with others, it seems like what comes out comes around is once you've reached a certain level of maturity and maturity doesn't necessarily equal age because there's a lot of people who they might not reach that maturity until much later in life and some who reach it at a much younger age. But what we're trying to develop here is an understanding that our money is not unlimited, that our money is something we have to work hard for. We have to earn and the impressions of other people really don't matter as much in the long run when we think about what's our future goals, what's our purposes with our money, what are we trying to accomplish? And when we put our priorities first, making sure that we're living within our means and make sure that we're setting aside something for our future, that all of a sudden the the concerns and impressions and trying to live up to the expectations of everyone else start to fade? Um, For me, I think um, I'll give you an example. I had a girlfriend that we both bought our homes around about the same time. She has since bought three additional homes. Mm. I'm still in the one that we originally purchased, Mm. but mine is paid for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, versus she's still got this, you know, enormous house payment because every time she felt like she needed to upgrade to something different. Yeah. And so when you look at that, you think, okay, what's the difference? You're, you're an empty nester. I'm an empty nester. I can only be in one room at a time. Right. Why do I need that much? You know, so you just kind of really have to start thinking about, like you said, What's valuable to me? Right. And what became valuable to me, it's much more valuable to me to be able not to have an enormous house payment so that I can afford to take nice vacations and and not come back with the stress of going on vacation versus, you know, trying to keep up this house payment plus try to live an elaborate lifestyle. So I've taken a lot of the pressure off of myself by realizing my house is just as nice, may not be as many square foot, you know, footage as yours is, but it functions the same way. Right. When we talked about the 2024 Lexus versus the 2024, you know, Chevrolet. Yeah. Both are the same purpose. Right. They're each meant to get you from 
work to home or wherever you need to go. One just has a very different price tag to it. Exactly. <laughs> right. I think one of the things that really stands out to me with this whole conversation is there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with going on expensive vacations and having a summer home. Don't get us wrong. We're not saying that. The point that we're bringing out is that when you buy these things with money that you don't have to live a lifestyle that you can't afford, that's what we're trying to address here with this conversation because we want you to be able to live a life that you can look back on with pride. And the way that you look back on your life with pride is not looking back with regret, wishing you had saved money for retirement because it's coming like it or not. And making sure that you haven't set aside something for your kid's college education because they're going to grow up whether you like it or not. You know, we need to make sure that we're setting aside for our personal priorities and not necessarily chasing this dream, the American dream that everybody thinks just goes to the next level where it's like, well, you don't have a nice enough car. You don't have a nice enough house. You don't go to the best schools. Instead of chasing this dream, live within the, the means that you have and be be content with what with what you have while striving to work harder to earn something more for your family. There's nothing wrong with having more. Just don't let those things have you. Right. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's it right there. Right. And one of the words you just used that I think is huge is being content. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's that's the difference. Are you content and are you at peace with where you are? Yeah. You know, and so if you're always busy looking over the fence, so to speak, thinking that the grass is greener, I heard someone use a a terminology one time that you think their grass is greener. In reality, that's turf. Yeah. Yeah. It's astroturf. It's it's astroturf. It's not even real grass. (laughs) Yeah. But you, you know, you just assume it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you've gotten yourself in a world of trouble living on assumptions instead of living in a place of contentment. Absolutely. And I was just telling you the other day, I was in my apartment just maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago, and it's like God just gave me this epiphany. I just looked around. I said, you know what? I have a couch, coffee table. I have a bed to sleep in. I have food, water. I I have music if I want to listen. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I don't need the lavish vacation. I don't need a. I mean, it'd be, I mean, if I had the money to get a house right now, then if I felt the need to get a house, then of course. But I have a place to live, so right. I'm, I'm I'm good. Yeah. One of the things that I want to bring up um, as a good resource, if anybody's interested in f- reading a good a good uh, mindset change for you, there's a guy named Thomas Stanley. He passed away a few years ago, but he has some really good books out there. One of them is called The Millionaire Next Door. What he talks about in this book is he he was wondering what it is that makes millionaires different. He looked at these, these people and he broke them into two different categories. One of the categories was income statement wealthy, and another category was balance sheet wealthy. He says there's a lot of people out there when you drive through the nice neighborhoods in town, the big houses, these people, a lot of them are income statement wealthy. These are people who have really high paying jobs. Mm. They're people who because of their high paying jobs also have high dollar lifestyles. They have a lot of money coming into their bank account, but they also spend all of that money on big houses, fancy cars, making sure that they have the nice clothes. The appearance of wealth is all over the place. But what also happens is that they have very little savings 
in the bank. Some of these really fancy houses are very poorly furnished because they don't have enough money to buy the furnishings because they spent so much money on the house. These people are often very highly loaded in debt and making payments to afford this lifestyle that they are trying to appear, trying to appear that they can have. But then there's another set of people. You drive through some of the smaller, more established neighborhoods, and these people are often balance sheet wealthy. They're not necessarily in the biggest house. They have a modest home. They might not necessarily drive the most fancy car. Their car may be two or three model years old, but at the same time, they have a large net worth. They've been putting their money aside into investment accounts, into 401k plans for retirement. They've been putting away money for their children's college, for their grandchildren's college, depending on their age. They are the type of people that they have some liquid cash for necessary purchases, but they also make sure that they have some solid investments such as real estate, where they have investments such as uh, stock portfolios and stuff like that. They're balance sheet wealthy because they're making sure that they're setting aside for their future. And that's what I'm hoping with this podcast for you guys listening out there, that when you go through these these wheels in your head that says, you know, I need to start living this way because my income reached a certain level. You know, you're fresh out of college, got your first career job. It might be the largest income you've ever had in your life, but make sure you pause, look at your life and think about what it is that you truly want to accomplish. That is more than just impressing someone at the stoplight in your new car. It's more than just putting your kids in the private school because that's where all of your friends and neighbors are. It's about making sure that you're setting aside for your family's future to where 20 years from now, you'll look back and you'll be grateful for the changes that you've made. Do we have any last thoughts you guys want to add before we end? I was going to say, you know, it kind of goes back to something we talked about um, with retail therapy. I said, I had to learn that I could enjoy retail therapy without actually spending money. Mm. So it's kind of the same mindset um, maybe you just go tour homes that I kind of mm-hmm. take care of your, you know, wanting to go look at other homes. Yeah. Um, maybe you test drive, you know, that car that you're <laughs> thinking about. Cause yeah. oftentimes after you look at the house, after you test drive the car and you don't actually go through with it, it kind of takes care of that instant gratification thing that you're seeking, you know, without actually going all the way through with it. So like Aaron said, you don't deprive yourself of, you know, wanting those things. But if you kind of don't make knee jerk reactions and you think about it, I think it'll help you be smarter about, do I really need it? Do I really want it? Five years from now, is this really the neighborhood I want to live in? Absolutely. You know, that kind of thing. I think if you if you pause before you make a lot of those things and think through them, then you won't, you know, maybe you won't want to look over the fence as often. Absolutely. Right. That is all the time that we have for today's conversation on Between the T's. I do want to thank Rochelle Carter once again for joining us and also thank Carrie Wilson for being my co-host today. 
Once again, please remember that the discussions that we have on this program are for informational and educational purposes only. Your financial situation is different than ours, so please reach out to a trained professional in your area to go over any specific uh, issues that you may have. If you like the content that we discuss on this program, please consider liking and sharing the podcast with others to help us make a difference in their lives as well. Between the T's is a production of TBT Studios and Texas Bank and Trust, member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you live within one of Texas Bank and Trust's markets, we'd love to have you as a customer of our bank, but if you don't, then we hope this content is useful for you no matter where you live. Thanks again for listening, and remember that knowledge is power when it is shared between the T's. See you next time.